This morning, we are stepping into week four of a series we've been going through this summer called The Bible Abridged. And the kind of the overarching theme or goal of the series, it's been pretty lofty, but it's also been pretty simple. Because in this series, we're really trying to walk through, or I guess rather run through, the entire story of the scriptures in just five weeks. We want to go through the entire story of the scriptures, like from Genesis to Revelation, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, all of that in just five weeks. The story of God's promises for you, the story of God's love and his power for you, and the story of how God continues to get close to you no matter where you are. Just a quick recap of this story where we've been so far. In week one of this series, we really watched this uh, story start off on a bit of a negative note. We watched this story start in Genesis chapter three with a bit of tragedy when Adam and Eve rebel against God. The very first two people that God created to, to, to rule and have dominion of the world, they rebel against God and in their sin create this cosmic distance between the creator and his creation. And yet, even from the very beginning of this story, what we see time and time again is that no matter how far the people of God run away from God, God continues to try to close that gap. He tries to close the distance, tries to reconcile himself with his creation, develop a close personal relationship with them time and time again. We saw an example of that in week two of this series with the Exodus story where God chooses Israel to be his chosen nation, to be a people who is especially close to him. He saves them from the slavery that they were under in Egypt. He takes them out into the wilderness. And then while they're in the wilderness, God continues to give them signs of his promise, signs of his presence wherever they go. God is physically present with the people of Israel while they worship in this thing called the tabernacle. It's like the coolest tent you've ever seen. And then not only that, like God physically comes down in two different pillars, a pillar of smoke for when Israel is traveling in the daytime and a pillar of fire when Israel is traveling at night. The, the main point of that story being God continues to get close to Israel. He wants to be close and have a personal relationship with them. And then last week, we kind of got to like the end, the very sad end of Israel's story, right? Because despite God wanting to get close to them, the people of Israel decided they didn't want to be close to God. They wanted to run away, do their own thing, worship false God, worship idols from other nations. And so God uh, continues to want to get close to them. He sends prophets. He sends prophets like Jeremiah to, to announce the message from God. Hey, I want to be close to you, but you're making it kind of hard. I want to get close to you. I want to have relationship with you. I want you to be my people. But if you keep wandering after false gods, you're, you're running away from me. And probably in God's like most desperate attempt to try to get back in proximity to his creation, he actually judges the nation of Israel. Not because he hates them, not because he likes being angry or wrathful, but here's the hope when God judges the people of Israel that it would sort of wake them up to their need for God. And that the people of Israel would repent, that they would actually want to become close to God again. God judges the people of Israel and they're left in the space of exile where they are now calling out to God, calling out to a God who they feel like is really, really far from them and they want him to be close again. That's kind of where we've been in this story so far, a lot of the Old Testament that we've covered, but this morning, uh, we're stepping out of the Old Testament, stepping into the New Testament, and we're really going to see this theme of God getting close to his creation, kind of closing that gap. We're going to see that theme really come to a head in the person of Jesus, right? Because there's no better example or bigger example of God trying to get close than him physically coming down from heaven 
taking on flesh, skin, and bone to actually dwell with his creation in the midst of all of their sin, in the midst of all of their foolishness and rebellion. God comes to earth as a person in Christ Jesus. And then while God is on earth, the message is still the same. The message is this. It's God saying to us, I want to be close to you. I want you to come to me. I want you to have faith in me. I want you to trust me. I want you to follow me. I want you to be my disciples. And and in John chapter 6, we're going to see Jesus is kind of uh, stating the case for why people should get close to him. He's kind of making a case. There are three big points that Jesus makes for why people should get close to him. And there's going to be a crowd that the response to Jesus kind of case here, it's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of confusion because of some of the claims that Jesus makes, especially the claim to be God. We're going to dig into the weeds of that in just a moment, kind of the specifics of our text for this morning. But before we get into that, I want us to step back and just for a moment talk about the gospel that we're in and why that's so important. Right, because there are four Gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to start out kind of the story of the New Testament, right? And, and the story across all four of those Gospels, thankfully, is the same, right? The story of the Gospels is God came to earth in Christ Jesus, lived a perfect life, died a death that we deserve, rose and forgave all of our sins. That story is consistent through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But each of these Gospel writers had a bit of a different personal take on this message, doesn't mean the message is wrong, doesn't mean the message can't be trusted, it just means each of these people personally saw Jesus a little bit differently. And and of all the four people who wrote the Gospels, John himself was probably, honestly, the the closest to Jesus, right? He's probably the perfect person to tell the story of God getting close to his creation because he was closer to Jesus than even most of the disciples, He was close to Jesus. He was kind of in his inner circle, right? And the reason uh, John was close with Jesus is because one day, just out of the blue, Jesus invited him along for the ride. John and his brother James, they were kind of fishermen. They were fishing in a boat one day with their dad. And then Jesus, walking down the side of the road, is just like, hey, guys, come, come get close to me. Come follow me. Come be my disciples. Story goes like this. James and John, they both drop everything, drop their whole lives, and follow Jesus as a result. And then they get to have all these crazy adventures with Jesus. They get to see all these incredible things that Jesus is doing, but John especially sees, like, all of it. Like, up, close, and personal. John got to see Jesus cry. John got to see, like, an especially, like, human side of Jesus when Jesus is is visiting Lazarus, kind of like while he's in the tomb. Like, he sees Jesus weeping over the death of his friend. And not only does John see Jesus cry, he also sees Jesus kind of like in his glow-up moment, literally. Like, when Jesus has this transfiguration, just a fancy word for, like, shining, bright, illuminating. Like, Jesus turns into this giant ball of light. Moses and Elijah are coming down on a mountain to visit him, just have a chat. And then John sees all of this. He sees Jesus at his highest moment, and he sees Jesus kind of like in his most human moment as well. But if that's not convincing enough, this is really what tells you how close John and Jesus were, just as friends. When John, sorry, when Jesus himself is being crucified on a cross, like as he's about to die, John is the person that Jesus trusts to take care of his mother while he's gone. John is the person that Jesus trusts who looks at him and says, hey, you're going to take care of Mary, the woman who literally raised me since I was young. You're the one who I trust to take care of her. That's how close John and Jesus were. That's why John is the perfect person to tell the story of God getting close to creation because he's gotten close to God himself. And the story that we're going to see, it's, it's John, it's, sorry, back up just a second. Just kind of a final thought on the Gospel of John. 
final thought on the Gospel of John and just like maybe a contemporary example of how we should read the Gospel of John, how this is going to probably make the most sense for us is if you read the Gospel of John, and I'm excited about this, this is Family Sunday, if you read the Gospel of John, like one of the best family feature films that's ever been made, it was made in 1993, it's called The Sandlot. Anyone ever seen this movie? Raise your hands if you've seen this movie. All right, you better have seen this movie, all right? If you've had a kid in the last 30 years, or if you've been a kid in the last 30 years, this movie is like required watching, okay? If you haven't seen this movie, God forgives you, I forgives you, but like you need to get on it. Like, we already did Confession and Absolution, we can do it again, but like you need to see this movie. And here's why. This movie, it, it, like, it's the perfect illustration of like how friendship should work, right? Because friendship, every single time, like it's the, it's the story of somebody being invited into a relationship with somebody else. Story of the Sandlot starts off like this. There's a kid named Scotty Smalls who moves into the neighborhood. Scotty Smalls, he's the narrator of this story, but he's not necessarily the main character of this story. Uh, Scotty, one of the biggest things that he wants to do, the only thing that he wants to do is make some friends. He wants to make some friends with the boys in the Sandlot crew. He wants to play baseball with them. The only problem for Scotty is that he's got no idea how to play baseball. Like, he is so bad at baseball, he can't throw a ball, he can't catch a ball, he can't hit a ball. He's practicing with his dad and he gets hit in the eye. They've got to put a stake on it. It's this whole fiasco. And you can imagine the very first time that Scotty goes out to play baseball with like all the kids, they just start making fun of him. They start making fun of him and, and bullying him, kind of being like really mean, but there's one kid who stands up for Scotty. There's one kid who stands up for Scotty and invites him into something bitter, and his name is Benny the Jet Rodriguez. Not Benny and the Jets, that's Elton John, Benny the Jet Rodriguez. And here's what Benny does. While all the kids are making fun of Scotty because of how bad he is at baseball, Benny's the one who's like, no, 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 come here. He invites Scotty along for the ride. He invites him kind of into that core group of the Sandlot crew. And then, as a result, they together get to go on all these awesome adventures, right? And Scotty's not really the hero of the story. He's not the main character of the story. He's just the one telling the story. He's telling the story of his friend, Benny, and all of the cool things he does. And in a very similar fashion, right, the Gospel of John is kind of John himself being the narrator of the story, Somebody who had a lot of crazy adventures with Jesus, but would be the first to admit, hey, this story is not about me, it's about him, right? They get to go on all these crazy adventures together, and the, the text that we have this morning is just one of them. It's the story where Jesus is talking to the crowds after he has fed 5,000 people. More like 5,000 families, right, because the, the numbers are a little bit strange, but Jesus has just performed a miraculous, miraculous thing. He's given them like just 5,000 people's worth of, of bread and fish, even though he started out with just like five loaves and two fish, and everybody's impressed with Jesus. Everybody's marveling at Jesus. Everyone kind of like wants to follow Jesus, and Jesus here, where we're kind of meeting him, is making the case for people to get even closer to him, to follow him not just as a rabbi, not just as a mentor, but actually as God, to put their faith and their trust in him. And there's three key points that Jesus makes. There's three key points that Jesus makes in this conversation, trying to convince or persuade the other people to come close to him. The first one is this. Jesus says, hey, crowds, you should get close to me because I am all powerful. Look with me at John 6, verse 35. Jesus says to the crowds, I am the bread of life. It means whoever comes to me shall not hunger. What's Jesus getting at here? He's saying to the ground in, in short terms, like, hey, I have the power to satisfy you. 
I have the power to satisfy every conceivable need that you might have, whether it's a physical need, whether it's an emotional need or a spiritual need. I have the power to satisfy you. You don't have to go look in anywhere else. You don't have to go look into princes or rulers or Caesar or to your own good works. You don't have to go chasing after pleasure and desire and all those things. If you just come and follow me, I can absolutely satisfy everything that your heart is longing for. You can choose to go after other things. You can choose to like let the powers of this world kind of determine your joy, determine their happiness, but eventually all their power is going to run out. But mine is not. Jesus says, I am all-powerful. Why? I have the power to satisfy your deepest needs. That's point number one. Point number two that Jesus makes is why people should get close to him. It's not just that he's all-powerful. It's also that he is all-loving. John goes on in verse 37. He says, all that the Father gives to me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, no matter who they are, I will never cast them out. What's Jesus saying here? He's saying, not only do I have the power to satisfy you, but I also have the desire to satisfy you. I have the desire to know you. I have the desire to love you. Like, like other people, you can go to them, like kind of with your cares and your concerns, and eventually you're just going to wear them out. Eventually you're just going to wear them out or their power's going to run out. But like, no matter how many times you come to me, And no matter how long it's been since I've last seen you, no matter how far you've gone or where you've gone, when you come back to me, here's my promise to you. I am never, ever going to leave you. I'm never going to cast you out. I'm never going to turn my back on you. I am always going to love you. Point number one Jesus makes is that he's all-powerful. Point number two Jesus makes, he's also all-loving. But point number three, it's, it's going to sound like a throwaway point at first, but it's actually probably the most important one, because it's this point that really kind of underpins Jesus' entire argument. Like, if this point is not true, Jesus has got no business making the other two. Point number three that Jesus makes, why people should get close to him, he says, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but to the will of him who sent me. That's the Father. And again, this kind of sounds just like kind of a throwaway point from Jesus, given what we know about him. But like, think about the people who Jesus is speaking to in this moment. Most of the people in the crowds that Jesus is kind of speaking to, appealing to in this conversation are Jewish people. And in the Jewish mind, kind of like the Jewish psyche, what they believe about God is he is the only person, the only person who sits and resides in heaven. God is a holy God, a high and heavenly God. He is the only person who has ever been in heaven, ever will be in heaven. Like he is the heavenly ruler of everything. He created the earth. He loves the earth. He continuously tries to like come down and like fix some of our problems through like prophets, uh, through like all the stuff that the Jewish people have been doing. But the one thing that God would never do in the Jewish mind, because he's so high and holy and heavenly, he would never come down to earth himself. Like, like why would he bother, right? Because high, like, like heaven is perfect. Heaven is pure and perfect. There's nothing going on there. There's like nothing wrong there, but like on earth, it's just a mess. It's a mess filled with messy people, right? All of our foolishness, all of our fragility. Like if God was to come into earth, here's what he'd be doing. He'd be, he'd be risking the mortality of it all risking stepping into just kind of like our filth, all the brokenness that we have. And like, he'd have to come face to face with that. And and the scripture says, what the Jewish people believe is that just like God and sin do not coexist, right? 
So this is like a really big struggle point for the Jewish people as they're listening to Jesus talk. They think, hold on just a second. Like, like, how can you be from heaven? First of all, only God is in heaven. And second of all, we know where you're from, Jesus. You've got a birth certificate with your name written on it, and it doesn't say heaven on it. It says that you're from Galilee. It says you're from Nazareth. It says you're from Bethlehem. There's no reason for you to be claiming things that you have no business claiming. There's no reason for you to be like just making ridiculous statements like the fact that you're God. But there's a problem here. And the problem is this. It's, it's not the problem of the Jews actually having a high view of God, right? Because the Jews, like, they, they get that part right. Like, God is in heaven. He's high. He's holy. He's, like, heavenly, all that good stuff. But the problem becomes this. When the, the high view of God in the Jewish mind, it actually just becomes a distant view of God, a, a view of God where he is just so far removed from humanity, so far removed from our struggles, from our pains, from our hurts, that, like, he just doesn't care about it all. This distant view of God is what makes Jesus' claims really, really hard to believe. And sometimes, for you and me, it can make Jesus' claims hard to believe as well. Uh, sometimes, you and I, were guilty of this, of just feeling like God is distant, of having this misconception in our mind that God is distant. And the problem with that is that it kind of just leads to a, a lot of practical issues with our faith. The first one is this, that if we believe in a God who is just distant so far away, then that God can't be bothered with us. If God is distant, a distant God cannot be bothered. And if God can't be bothered, then he's really not all that loving, is he? If God's not intimately involved with, like, your story, your hurts, and your hang-ups, if God just doesn't listen to your prayers, like, like, what kind of God is that? Is that a God worth worshiping? Is that a God worth praising, a God worth following? I wouldn't say so. If God is so distant, he, he doesn't know you, he doesn't have a personal relationship with you, so why would you bother talking to him? Why would you bother trying to have a relationship with God, getting close to God who is just not close to you? Like, you know for sure, like, there's nothing you can do to close that gap to get to God, so, like, why would you even try? That's the first problem with thinking that God is distant, is that just God cannot be bothered with us. But the second practical problem that comes with feeling like God is distant, and it plays out kind of practically, it's not just that, that God can't be bothered, it's that God himself can't bother you. God can't bother you if he's distant. He can't give you any ounce of authority or power or persuasion by his words. All of his words, like the best thing they are is just like helpful advice. Like, like if God doesn't know you, if he doesn't know your life and your story, like he's just a stranger and you don't take advice from strangers. Like imagine like just how awkward this would be. Like imagine how awkward it would be if like you're driving in the car one day, you've got the windows rolled down because it's hot and it's Houston and it's summer and you just got to deal with it. And you're driving down, you stop at a light, and there's this other car that pulls up to you. Total stranger. Total stranger pulls up in their car, they roll down their windows, dude with a mullet and sunglasses, you know the type, and they look over at you, and just like no provocation, no warning at all, they look at you and they're like, hey, buddy, need to fix your marriage. And the first question in your mind is just like, dude, like what is up with your haircut? Like, is that still in? The second question on your mind, probably more appropriate, is this. It's just like, who are you? Like, like, you don't know me. You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what's going on in my heart, in my life, in my mind. Like, why in the world would I bother listening to you if you won't bother to know me? And the same is true with God. If God is just a stranger to us, if God is not 
like close to us, if he doesn't know our story, then like we wouldn't bother talking to him and we would not bother listening to him. There's just no relationship there. But there's an even bigger problem here. And it's a problem that, that John sees pretty clearly. It's not like a practical problem, but it's actually just more of a theological problem. A, a problem of like who God is and like what God does just in general, right? Because John's done his homework. Like, like, John knows the story of the Old Testament, and he knows, like, up close and personally who God is in the person of Jesus. And the main problem in John's mind, the problem of a distant God, it's not that he's not loving, it's not that he's not powerful, it's that it's just not true. It's just not true. In fact, the way that John tells his story of Jesus, the way that John presents the gospel to us, is that God has never been distant. God has never been distant from his creation. And if there's anything that's on God's mind constantly and forever, it's getting even closer to the people he loves so much. John lays this out in his gospel from the very beginning. Look with me at John chapter 1, verse 1. This is how John starts off his story of Jesus. He says, in the beginning was the word. The word is just kind of John's like kind of synonym for Jesus. He says, and the word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning before all things with God. And get this, all things were made through him. All things were made through Jesus and without him was not anything that was made that has been made. What's John getting at here? He's saying just like kind of point blank from the very beginning of his story, God has never been distant and he never will be. Why? Because God created everything that exists and is consistently holding up Everything that exists, everything that has life, everything that does not have life, God is intimately holding all of that together. If God was not present, if God was distant from us, then everything we see around us, ourselves included, we would just literally fall apart and disintegrate. God has never, ever been distant with us. Colossians would put it like this, in God all things were made and in him all things literally hold together. God has never ever been distant from us. And if there's one other thing that John hits over and over again in this gospel, it's not just that God was never distant, it's that he wants to get even closer, stepping into his creation. This is John 1 verse 14. He says the same word, the same word that is kind of holding everything together from the beginning of creation became flesh, came down from heaven to earth, became flesh and dwelt among us. And this is how close we've gotten to God. We have seen the fullness of his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full, just full of grace, love, and truth. God steps into our story, gets incredibly close to us in the person of Jesus, and that's the story that John tells time and time again. And the reason why he does that, the reason why God consistently gets close to his creation, it's not to bother you. It's not to guilt you or to shame you or to kind of like just poke you and pester you. Like, no, the reason that God gets close to you and wants to get close to you is so he can actually give you, provide you everything that you need. Not so he can judge you, not so he can condemn you, but so he can actually give you life. John lays this out point blank. John 3, verse 16. These are the words of Jesus. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son down from heaven so that whoever believes in him, in other words, whoever comes close to him, believes in him, follows him, is his disciple, they should not perish, 
They should not be left behind by God to perish, but actually have eternal life, eternal closeness with God. For God did not send his son into the world to get close to the world, to condemn the world, but in order that the whole world might be saved through him. This is the part in the story that we've been trying to get through in this whole series. This is the story of God, the story of the scriptures summed up in just just a handful of words. Why? Because if this part of the story drops and falls from it, we might as well not even read the rest of it. Like if God himself did not step into creation, if he did not take on skin, flesh, and bones, live, die, and resurrect, even Paul, the scripture says, this faith would be meaningless and our preaching would be in vain. But if Jesus did step into this story, if God got close to his creation and the story that John tells is true, here's what it means for you. It's that God has never never even for a moment been distant. Even if you feel like he has, even if you feel like you've wandered too far and he's just turned his back on you, like God has never, ever been distant from you. He has been holding you together even when you feel like you're just falling apart. And not only has God never been distant from you, but he is always relentlessly pursuing you, trying to get even closer to you that you have a God who is close to you, who is all loving, who desires to provide for you everything that you need and also is all powerful, has the literal power and authority to do just that so that you can never feel alone, that, that you never have to worry about like guilt or shame, that the story that defines your life the most is this story of God getting close to you, of claiming you so he can take you along for the ride Right, so you can have lots of cool adventures in him, and, but then also just so like he can take you back to the Father, back to heaven with him. This is the story that defines all of us. This, this is the story really that holds us together. It's the story of God continuously getting close to us, continuously getting close to us so that he can know us with the promise that he will never ever leave us. Amen.